Welcome back to the 4 for 4 team preview series. We are going through all 32 teams here over eight weeks. We started last week with four great teams, and we are back again this week to give you a preview for the NFL season of four key teams. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand, and today we bring in one of the experts here. I've talked to her for years on the old Rotoviz team preview series, now have it at 4 for 4 gives great insight into the team, and is also welcoming to our fantasy community. Give us some nil nuggets here on the offense. Gina Kelly. Gina Kelly does amazing work there for the Falcoholic SB Nation. Follow her on Twitter at Gina Thomas. Gina, thank you so much for joining us again. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. So we are in the throes of it here. We're getting towards the end of June. And of course, we want to take a look at these teams. And one of the teams I think that has really sort of an unknown season coming up is Atlanta. It all starts with the quarterback, Marcus Mariota, head, co head coach Arthur Smith. They're together again. Now, the Falcons did draft Desmond Ritter in round three. He has great speed, was a great leader for Cincinnati. Talk about the quarterback situation in Atlanta this year. What can we expect from Mariota? It was a high draft pick, had some moments there, had that great prolific thing in the in the red zone where he wasn't throwing interceptions for a while. He's now reunited with Smith. Ritter is going to be pressing him a little bit. Can he get on the field? Talk about the QB situation in Atlanta. So obviously it's very weird for me to be covering a quarterback other than Matt Ryan for the first time since 2008. Um so it's been a really big adjustment for Falcons fans. Like just not having number two behind center is, is so it feels so strange. Uh, Mariota is always a player that I really liked. I feel like his um, injury issues have kind of held him back and kept him from living up to his draft status. Um, Arthur Smith is a very smart offensive mind. And so I think that he'll be able to put Mariota in positions to succeed. I am concerned about you know the offensive line which is kind of an evergreen thing and I know we'll talk a little bit more about them later but um you know I think that Mariota can be is serviceable in this offense I do think that we will see Desmond Ritter start um at some point this season whether that is because the coaching staff feels like he has developed to the point that the speed of the of the pro game is going to be something that he can manage or whether Marcus Mariota gets injured. Um, and so I think that we will definitely see Ritter start later in the season. Um, it just it kind of depends on the uh, extenuating circumstances that get him there. You know, he made a great point. I'm a Boston College guy, so I, I really know Matt Ryan had some great moments. Obviously a fantastic leader, former MVP for Atlanta as well. Let's get into that offensive line right now because that may be the key question on terms of whether we're comfortable with Ritter, how the line is holding up. Uh, Pro Football Focus just released the offensive line rankings, and they ended up being towards the bottom there. Jake Matthews, Chris Lindstrom, quality starters, but there still are some questions. I think they had them at 28th overall. There are some quality pieces, though, and I would think that would be tethered their performance to how quickly maybe Ritter can get acclimated this year. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, so some positive things. I mean, with the offensive line chemistries, everything. And last year they had a, some newer players plugged in there, including Jalen Mayfield, who was pushed into a starting position before I feel like he was actually ready as a rookie. And I think that that probably had an impact on it. He played very poorly last season at, for very long stretches and was responsible for a lot of the hits that Matt Ryan took. But now that he's had, you know, another full offseason and more of a regular offseason, um, not as disrupted by COVID with the rest of this offensive line to develop more chemistry and also the fact that he's just had time to acclimate to the speed of the game, which is a huge adjustment for a rookie. Um, I think that 
he can improve. I think that we should see more cohesive play from that unit this year. But like you said, there just are some question marks um, on that on that line. And I feel like that's something that I say about the Falcons every year except for 2016. <laughs> that was the best offensive line that they've had in a long time. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I hope that they can keep Mariota upright just primarily because of his injury history. I mean, Matt Ryan took a ton of hits, but he was really durable. He only missed, I think, three games off the top of my head in his entire span with Atlanta. Um, so the line is going to have to play better this year. I'm really hoping that they're able to get some kind of a ground game going for a change, too, to take some pressure off whoever's playing quarterback. But, um, yeah, the line, I think, is going to remain one of the biggest question marks going into the season. Yeah, that ground game is another – asset to the offensive line and last year was sort of a surprise for everyone Corderell Patterson go figure Gina great year rebirth at age 30 over 1100 yards 11 touchdowns 52 receptions I think all of our fans are trying to say is that repeatable you have Damian Williams who came over from Chicago who really hasn't fired except for that little stint with Kansas City certainly will be a factor in the passing game and in the fantasy world we're all looking at fifth round pick Tyler Algier from BYU Great vision. Looks like he's durable. I don't think he's going to get 20 carries, but he's sort of built in that way. Here's my question in the backfield. Is Patterson going to be used more in the passing game? Does Algier get more carries here? How do you see the touches getting distributed? Because I would think Arthur Smith, with some unknowns, a quarterback offensive line, would want to get that run game going just to keep balance. Absolutely. And I mean, you have to think about the offense that he ran in Tennessee and Derrick Henry. Obviously, if you have a player like Derrick Henry, he's going to be your focal point. But um, with Cordero Patterson, I thought that it was fascinating how well Coach Smith was able to put him in positions to succeed. Bill Belichick did that with Patterson, um, you know, to an extent when he was with the Patriots. But really, Arthur Smith is where he kind of came into his own. And like you said, having that happen at age 30 is just not something that you expect. Um, I think that he will continue to be a big factor in the passing game because he is a real threat out of the backfield. And if he can get the ball in space, he is gone. I mean, he is just so fast. Um, and so I think that, yeah, Algier will be probably the guy that they're looking to, to take most of the, you know, standard carries and, and fill like the more traditional um, running back role. Again, like this is an issue that the Falcons have had for years and years, really, since um, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman were in Atlanta. They have not been able to get a consistent ground game going. And uh, yeah, when you're depending on a fifth rounder and a 30-year-old guy <laughs> to, to do that, I don't know. There, there are just some questions there too. And of course, it's going to also um, depend on how is the offensive line at run block, uh, run blocking? You know, are they going to be more successful um, in that aspect of the game this year? So it's it's so weird to try to preview a team in June just because there are like still so many unknowns. But um, I am really excited that Patterson ended up back with the Falcons. He was a fan favorite, one of the very few bright spots last season. And, you know, I'm hoping that they're able to get something going there. We're going to talk about the receiving game, but I do want to get a sense with Atlanta fans, Gina. What, what is the feeling with Calvin Ridley? I would say the overall sense across the country from people I'm talking to is a little bit of an extreme suspension for what went on. Um, you know, a lot of some off the field things. And it seems like Ridley gone for the entire year this year, obviously a major part of the offense, one of the elite receivers in the league. What is the general sense here about Ridley who we're not going to see this year? So it was really interesting. I wrote about this and when the suspension first um, was announced. And I 
my issue with it is that the NFL has, you know, really gotten very close, very cozy with the gambling industry. You know, they've got a team in Las Vegas now. They're letting sports books advertise um, during games. They're, you know, uh, DraftKings is sponsoring a bunch of stuff with the NFL. And so I it's hard for me to like ethically reconcile suspending a player who bet on the NFL when he wasn't with the team, he had um, left the team to focus on his mental health. A full year is just so much. And I know that these are apples to oranges, but, you know, on the flip side of things, you have Deshaun Watson, who's facing, you know, now potentially 26 civil suits from women alleging um, sexual misconduct. And he's not even on the commissioner's exempt list, but Calvin Ridley, I, it just seemed like the, the severity of those two things is so vastly different and it's, it's just confusing to me. So a lot of Falcons fans disagreed with me when I said that I thought that a year suspension was excessive. A lot of Falcons fans, you know, thought that gambling at all on the NFL is a threat to the integrity of the game. Um, and I, you know, that's certainly the position that the NFL has taken. I just think that it's excessive, especially given all of that context. Yeah, especially year. I, I, I agree with you completely. So now they're going to have to go into the season. Obviously, it starts and ends with Kyle Pitts. Uh, incredibly talented tight end. Great rookie season for Kyle. Second in air yards at the position. Third in receiving yards. Only the one touchdown. I remember Gina caught it was at the, the game in London, I believe. Jacksonville, because I remember saying he got one. Kyle Pitts got one. That was only. <laughs> yeah, that was his only touchdown of the year. Uh, they did obviously spend a first-round pick on Drake London from USC. Really talented, very productive. Does have sort of injury concerns coming into the league this year. They were fifth. They were 19th in passing attempts. But like you said, no Matt Ryan going to be a big change. So talk about the receivers here. No Ridley, but you have a superstar, budding superstar in Pitts, and sort of an unknown in Drake London with some other players as well. Yeah, I know the injury history had a lot of Falcons fans confused about the London pick, but with Ridley out, uh, obviously, you know, Julio Jones is not walking back through that door as much as we might want him to. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it made sense for them to address the receiver position high. I think that if London can stay reasonably healthy, his ceiling is extremely high. So I'm eager to see what he can do. Um, Kyle Pitts is, you know, they, they joke that he's a unicorn, but he really kind of is. Um, he is just a phenomenal player. They were kind of slow getting him integrated into the offense last year. I think that they were kind of bringing him along at his own pace. Um, and part of the reason for that is that, yes, he's theoretically a tight end, but he doesn't play the tight end position traditionally. He'll line up in different spots on the field. He is more of a hybrid, um, you know, tight end wide receiver. I think that, you know, when Jimmy Graham was, um, when he, yeah, when, when he was good, this was the kind of player that he always talked about. He deserved to be paid like a wide receiver because he was really more of a wide receiver than a pure tight end. And I think that that's really who Pitts is. So now that he's got a full season of experience under his belt, we really did see him start to get um, become a bigger focus in the offense as the season went on. Again, like with Mariota slash Ritter, we don't really know for sure what that's going to look like, but I think that he will be more involved this year. And I think that he'll be... I'm, I'm hoping that London is going to be able to step up and be productive because it's going to be really hard for Pitts out there if he's the only viable receiver, really. Um, he is not easy to double because of his size and speed, but still, it, it would be easier for them to diminish him um, if they don't have somebody out there who's a really reliable receiving target. Yeah, Pitts, 6'6", 245, 449 speed. I mean, just, just a, a superior athlete and can separate. But like you said, they need some balance here to make sure teams aren't trying to just to take him away. 
turn to the defense. Atlanta 30th overall in defensive DVOA last year. I think they need to generate pressure. That's the key. And they drafted Arnold Ibikite, who's an edge from Penn State, 38th overall. Grady Jarrett, of course. Talk about the defense here. Need to have some improvement just to give this offense a chance to keep these games close. Yeah, well, first of all, I was very nervous earlier in the offseason that Grady Jarrett would be traded. Um, and, you know, I just was very, very concerned they were going to lose him. He has been, you know, really the cornerstone of this defense since he was drafted. The Falcons got him. He was such a steal um, in the draft. He fell all the way to the fifth round because he's undersized for a defensive tackle. But he is able to generate so much pressure from the middle. And um, it really, I could not imagine this defense could improve without his presence. Um, I really like um, Ebiketti. I really think that his ceiling is very high. I, I think that, you know, every, I feel like every year since I became a Falcons fan, except for they they had a stint where they had John Abraham on the roster. That's the only time that I, that we weren't all complaining about the pass rush. It's been a good decade since the Falcons had, were able to get after any quarterback with any kind of consistency. And so I'm really excited to see how that works this year. Um, Dean Pease is a brilliant defensive coordinator. I think that his scheme is a little bit complex. And I think that it was more complex than the one that Dan Quinn was running in Atlanta. And so I think that last year, what we saw was in part just players acclimating to that scheme. It was a common of that and just like years of neglecting to restock the depth on that side of the ball. So any injuries were catastrophic. Um, so yeah, I think that they did a good job of, of you know, uh, assembling some depth on that side of the ball going into this offseason. And I am really excited to see what they can do. If they can get after the quarterback, you know, it's a completely different ball game for the Falcons. Yeah, and a lot of this is having the unknown, too. With changeover, there's opportunity when you have changes, and that's what they have here coming into the year with the changeovers in, in offense and some new players on defense. Last question, Gene. It's been great, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. The schedule. 10th hardest schedule this season, the NFL per Vegas win totals with projections. Five win total here in Las Vegas. How do you see the schedule going? You talked about maybe Ritter coming in a little bit later in the year. That was fantastic because some people were questioning how long they're going to be with, with Mariota. How do you see the schedule here? How do you see things shaking out for Atlanta 2022? So I do see this as a rebuild year for Atlanta. Um, I think that it's going to be a, a year where they're going to, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe the NFL teams tank on purpose. Um, it's, so I don't think that any of that is in play. But I do think that they will not be great this year. I think it's going to be, you know, a lot of, you know, younger players acclimating. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting. So I think that the Vegas projections are probably not that far off. Now, again, anything can change. Um, strength of schedule is based on last year's performance. You know, we've seen a lot of shakeups around the league, uh, different players, you know, players leaving, going elsewhere. And so, um who knows how these teams are going to be this year, but I think that that Vegas projection is probably not too far off. I don't expect many wins from Atlanta, but I do hope that what we'll see from them is consistent improvement over the course of the season. Very fair folks. Fantasy insight here. NFL insight. One of the best in the business, Gina Kelly at Gina Thomas on Twitter, Falcoholic SB Nation. Does great work here. Atlanta Falcons, we will be locked in. We always look at these teams, Gina. And like you said, the Falcons here have had a lot of sustained success over the years. Maybe a bit of a, a rebuild, recharge the batteries, but there certainly are talented players. They had a strong draft, should definitely be making some noise at some point this year. Thank you so much for joining us here for, for football. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
we go to Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we are blessed to have Dale Lolly in at DLolly underscore PGH from DK Pittsburgh Sports. He has all the insight here. It's been a busy morning for him, and he joins us here at 4 for 4 Football for a few moments to preview the Steelers for the 2022 season. Dale, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Dale, you have roots at 4 for 4. This is very exciting. We have a connection between the beat reporter, the insight, and 4 for 4, so it's an honor to have you back. Yeah, always uh, glad to come back with uh, 4 for 4. I, I think I wrote for uh, 4 for 4 for about 15 years uh, before finally having to uh, kind of give it up a couple of years ago because life got too busy. But uh, was, had to juggle some things there, but, and uh, something had to give. And unfortunately, it was for 4 for 4, but uh, always a fan of you guys. Well, you were kind enough to juggle for us today because you could talk about it here. Big news, Pittsburgh defense, of course, foundational part of the success over the years. Minka Fitzpatrick is coming back and he's going to be there for quite a while, right? Yeah, uh, you know, big deal. I didn't think the contract would get done until a, a little closer to training camp. Uh, they were able to uh, to make that work. Um, obviously, he wanted to be here. They wanted him to be here and um, they had the cap space. So when those things kind of line up, it, it makes it pretty easy. It was not, uh, you know, the TJ Watt situation last year where, the, yes, they both wanted to get something done, but the Steelers didn't have a ton of cap space. This year they did, uh, you know, so they could go ahead and make that deal. Yeah, and I think, Dale, that Pittsburgh is sort of being undersold this year with the success of the Bengals, Baltimore getting healthy. We'll get into that in a little bit. Let's start the quarterback position. Of course, no more Ben Roethlisberger, two-time Super Bowl champion, 2004 Offensive Rookie of the Year, led the league twice in passing yardage, most 500-yard passing games for in his career, big shoes to fill, future Hall of Famer. But it seemed that the offense maybe had changed a little bit over the last couple of years. He led the league in passing yardage 2018, but of course the elbow surgeries and everything, he was getting closer to 40 years old. It seemed like their offense really wasn't taking as many deep shots. So my first question is, Ben gone, going to be in the Hall of Fame, of course. Mitchell Trubisky in, drafted Kenny Pickett. What can we expect from the offensive scheme with the new signal caller under center? Uh, more quarterback movement and more quarterback, uh, you know, maybe a few design runs, things of that nature. Uh, you'll see rollouts. You'll see play action. Um, you know, all the things that they couldn't do with Ben uh, the last couple of years. I mean, he had 20 carries for five yards last year as a runner. So now some of that's obviously kneel downs, but he just was not the the big Ben of old. Um, you know, if you look back at, at his early career tape, I mean, he could move and you know, that just kind of slowly is the, the knee injuries and elbow issues and everything else kind of caught up with him. Um, just couldn't be that guy anymore. Uh, you know, so the Steelers got a, it was like 56 yards, I think, or something like that out of their uh, rushing out of their quarterbacks last year. Um, you know, with Mason Rudolph providing most of that uh, in a little bit that he played. So I, I think you're going to see, you know, more runs out of the quarterback. Yeah, again, rollouts, things of that nature, moving the pocket, jet sweeps, uh, a lot of misdirection, things of that nature that, um, you know, are, are, are pretty much staples of a lot of other offenses around the league now. 
You know, both quarterbacks are mobile. I think Trubisky is being undersold a little bit here. I put something on Twitter. He's mentioning comeback player of the year and some naysayers have said, what is he coming back from? But he's being put now in an offense with weapons all over the place where he has a different skill set. Defenses are going to have to prepare for something they have not seen in Pittsburgh. How do you see the quarterback play shaping up? Is it going to be Trubisky, you think, unless he messes up? Or do you think they're rushing to get picket in here during his first year? They're not rushing to get picket in, I can tell you that. I mean, I, I do believe it is going to be Mitch Trubisky. It's going to be his job in the opener. And I believe as long as they continue to play well, um, he will continue to be the starting quarterback. I don't think they have any real plans to, to start Kenny Pickett this year. I know it's a, a quote-unquote quarterback battle the competition, but I really think the competition is more to see who the number two is going to be. Is it going to be Mason Rudolph for Kenny Pickett as opposed to you know one of those guys pushing uh, Mitch Trubisky? I, I, you know, they signed him quickly uh, in free agency. And one of the big things that I looked at with him uh, is his – career passer rating at, uh, when they run play action is 97. Um, you know, so I, I think you're going to see more of that. I mean, that was one thing Roethlisberger did not like to do. Uh, his career passer rating uh, off of uh, play action was 78. That's for his entire career. And we're talking about a Hall of Fame guy here. He didn't like to turn his back to the defense. Well, Trubisky will do that. And, and you know, he gives you the, the, the ability to run out of that as well. So I think that's going to be a staple of the Steelers' offense, and I think it's one of the big things that, that, that attracted them to Mitchell Trubisky. Their receiving core, one of the best in the league. Deontay Johnson, Clay Chapel, George Pickens now, of course, and a tight end, Pat Frymuth, who I think is going to be a star. I think he is of the mold of a Heath Miller, all athletic pass catchers. How do you handicap the target share here? And I'm specifically wondering about Claypool, explosive rookie season, last year a little bit of a, of a dip. Which one was the anom anomaly here? But Deontay Johnson, Pickens, Chase Claypool, Frymouth, where do you see the targets going here in this offense? Well, I mean, the guys who get open demand targets, and that's why Deontay Johnson has, has been so heavily targeted, uh, you know, over his first, especially the last couple of years. Uh, he just has an ability. He wins against man pre uh, coverage. He wins against zone. Um, he's just a, a target monster. Um, I, I would expect maybe a slight dip in his targets. I don't know if they're going to throw the ball like, around the field like they did with Roethlisberger all the time. Um, if you look at Claypool's numbers, really, and you, uh, his his receptions and yardage totals were almost identical to what he did his rookie year. The big thing that was missing was the touchdowns. And touchdowns can be – they can fluctuate. They're very volatile. He had nine receiving touchdowns as a rookie, one last year. So – uh, you know, if he finds the middle there somewhere uh, and maybe takes a little bit of a step there, maybe he gets, you see a few more catches, uh, some more yardage. You know, he and Ben Roethlisberger, they, they tried deep shots a lot last year with him. Um, you know, Roethlisberger could still throw the ball deep, but he wasn't as accurate as he used to be uh, earlier in his career on that. And that, that's what I saw that was missing with that. He could still, you know, he could still throw the football, you know, 60 yards in the air. It's just he had no true idea of where it was going to come down at necessarily. So that was the big difference. And a lot of times Claypool was kind of getting caught in jump ball situations. And he talked about it earlier in the off season. I uh, was leaving his feet too much in some of those situations and not coming down with the football. So I expect him to be better this year. And I think Pickens uh, is going to be a stud. Um, boy, he looks really good. Uh, watching him run around. I just, 
he's got that same body type as AJ Green and another former Georgia receiver. Uh, he's quick in and out of his breaks. I, I just think the, the sky is going to be the limit for that kid. And Fryermuth, um, you saw the contested catches that he made last year. Uh, he just goes up and gets the football. He's got sticky hands. Um, you know, a lot of last year, a lot of his stuff was shorter. You know, he only averaged eight yards a catch. So I'd expect, you know, maybe he gets that same 60 catch somewhere in that range, maybe a, a little bit more than that this year, um, which you get 60 catches out of your tight end. You're, you're more than happy about that unless you're, you know, have Travis Kelsey or, or someone like that. But if his yardage get, uh, goes up, if he's over 10 yards a catch this season, now you're looking at a guy who's, you know, in the middle of that that tight end one uh, conversation. Yeah, and you can't doubt Pittsburgh when it comes to drafting wide receivers. I mean, they always seem to hit a home run, and there's just weapons all over the field, especially in the backfield. You need to solve this for us here, Dale. Najee Harris comes in 245 pounds. That is very polarizing in Twitter world here. Does that mean he's more Eddie Lacy or is it 245 like Derrick Henry? I saw a picture. It did not look like he was out of shape at all, but you tell me. You know better. Najee Harris, amazing rookie season. What do you think? If he's out of shape right now, the rest of the world's in trouble because I, every other one of us, is. We can, there's no possible way we could be in shape. Um, he, he, he added some muscle. Um, it's all in his thighs. He's got he's got the biggest thighs I've seen this side of uh, Eddie George. I mean he he looks he has that kind of body type where he's just going to run through tackles with with those big legs. Um, you know I know the kid in, in Green Bay has got some big ones as well, but uh, this guy's all thigh. Uh, he's also you know six foot two running back. I mean he's just a monster, and he's just scratching the surface. I think you know I saw him running routes last year uh, that were. were I'm not going to say wide receiver type routes. They weren't. He's not quite Le'Veon Bell in the passing game, but he's not that far off. I think they're just kind of scratching the surface there with him in that regard. I think you're going to see more of that. And I know he talked about it at, at their mini camp about you know potentially them wanting to light, lighten his workload. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, you know that's just the, the reality of the situation. Much like Le'Veon Bell, he's their best third down back. He's their best short yardage back. He's their best guy in protection. And so when you get into the fourth quarter of a game and Mike Tomlin's looking, okay, we're down seven. Who are we going to have in the game? He's not going to look over. Hey, Benny Snell, get in there. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Now, I could I could see them potentially going out and signing a veteran backup and, and adding to that. But even if they do, that guy's not going to siphon off many carries from, from uh, Najee Harris. They drafted him in the first round for a reason. He's going to get the football. You can look, you know, it's going to be 350 plus touches again this year. Uh, so, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. And there just aren't many of those backs in the fantasy football world who you know are going to get 350. I mean, it's just, I, I they're love, just it's, it's a handful. I love when we have people on who connect to fantasy. Dale, you nailed it. Najee Harris, uh, for, among all running backs, number one in snap share. Number one in opportunity share, number one in targets, number one in receptions, number four in rushing yards. So what you're saying is don't believe everything you hear. Najee Harris is going to have more than enough touches to make him a quality first-round pick, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you don't draft a running back as, as an NFL team in the first round to not use him. I mean, that's one of the, one of the big things that you look at when you draft a guy in the first round. And I know the analytics crowd all say don't do it. But availability is a big ability. 
you know, and if you were available to take the ball time after time after time, that's worth something. You don't have to use, uh, you know, you don't have to have five running backs on your roster. You don't have to have a stable like they have in, in San Francisco where you just, which drives fantasy managers nuts. Which, which one's getting the ball this week? You don't have to worry about that with the Steelers. Najee Harris is going to be getting the football 20 to 25 times every game. Well, let's go to the offensive line. Probably the biggest area of concern here. PFF just released their ratings. Pittsburgh's ranked 30th out of 32, only ahead of the Bears and Seahawks. Not a single one of those returning offensive starters had a grade over 65 for them last year. Can this line be better? Can the mobility that you're talking about and some of the scheme play action stuff actually help and free up some short shots, deep shots, and running back touches with the gaps opening up? I don't know if they're going to be the gaps opening. I mean, you could say, you know, these grades, I, I put no credence whatsoever into PFF grading. Um, they have no idea what the blocking scheme is. They have no idea who, you know, if somebody blows a block, you have no idea who it is. I mean, you might think, you know, but you might still not be right. Um, I think the line will be better. The, the, the thing that the Steelers like is that they're all young. Um, young guys, as I always tell my readers, uh, they, they, can't, they are allowed to get better. And I think that's what the Steelers are banking on here. You know, Dan Moore at left tackle uh, was a rookie last year. Uh, you know, they they were starting a rookie at center, and they basically finished the, the last uh, the last quarter of the season with John Leglu at left guard. He was essentially a rookie as well. So your entire left side of your line was 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 three guys who had never played before last season. So yeah, it was going to look bad at times. There's no doubt about that. Well, you go out, you you, you know, you sign James Daniel, you sign Mason Cole. Your young guys are allowed to get better. Um, nobody on that offensive line is over the age of 26. Uh, you know, so they're all still ascending players, and the Steelers feel like this is a line that's going to continue to grow together. I would be shocked if they're the 30th best offensive line in the league this year. I'm not saying that they're going to be in the top 20, but I think they can be in the top 25 to be sure. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Ranked 14th in DVOA per football outsiders. They were first in 2020. Some injuries, some improvements. Fitzpatrick back here. Talk about the legendary defense because that, when it gets deep in the, the season, Dale, that cold weather, it's a huge advantage. I remember watching Ben and Pittsburgh in snow games against the Colts. Defense wouldn't give up a point. He's throwing for 500 yards. If this, if this defense is rolling, Pittsburgh is very, very tough. Talk about it coming up this year. Yeah, and you know they've led the league in sacks in the last each of the last five years. That had never been done two years in a row before, let alone five. So, you know this is a very aggressive defense, but that's changed. They didn't blitz as much last year as they had in previous years, and I think some of that was because of some of the guys that they were missing out there. Um, you know they, their their blitz percentage went from about forty percent in, in twenty twenty down to about twenty five percent in twenty twenty one. So, I could see them kind of getting back. To blitzing a little bit more now that they're getting some of those guys back. They get Tyson Alulu back. That will help in the run game. Uh, they went out and got Miles Jack in, in free agency. That should help the run game as well. And, you know, they've got the best pass rusher in the league. I'm, I'm sorry to, for everybody else that, that doesn't believe that, but the guy, TJ Watt had 22 and a half sacks last year, and he missed two games. And he missed parts of, you know, basically missed three full games and had 22 and a half sacks. He gets doubled. He gets tripled. Doesn't matter. He still gets there. Cam Hayward is a force in the middle. Um, you know, you're talking about two guys who are generational type players. Um, you know, if it weren't for Aaron Donald, people would be talking about how great Cam Cam Hayward is. Uh, you know, that's just the reality of it. So I expect the defense to be better. That 14th uh, ranking in DVOA last year 
they're not happy with that. Uh, and, and they don't necessarily look at DVOA, but they were dead last in run defense last year. That's not going to be the case again this year. I don't believe that for a second. I think a big reason for that was because, as we mentioned uh, you know, in the previous segment, nobody felt like the Steelers' offense was going to run away from them last year. Uh, you know, I think they broke 24 points four times last year in a game. So you could afford to continue to run the football against the Steelers. And, you know, the more you do that, the, you know, it's like, you know, pounding on a brick with a hammer. Sooner or later, it's going to break. So I, I think the run defense will be better. And if they get a few leads, just imagine what this what this defense can do with leads. I mean, they they led the league in sacks in 2019. Some Rudolph and Duck Hodges as quarterbacks scoring 17 points a game. I mean, they they can get after the quarterback. So, uh, you know, they're a good bet to lead the league in sacks again. Obviously, that makes them a very promising fantasy defense. And, you know, since Terrell Austin came on board in 2019 as the, as the senior defensive assistant, they've been pretty good with takeaways as well. He really stresses that. Now he's the defensive coordinator. They bring in Brian Flores as well from the Dolphins. Uh, that's a pretty good defensive staff when you couple that with Mike Tomlin's background as well. They're going to take the football away, and they're going to get a lot of sacks. So they should be a very, very attractive fantasy defense. Yeah, I agree. This team, I think, is very underrated. Last question, we'll get you out of here, Dale. The schedule, fourth hardest schedule this season per Vegas win totals, only seven and a half win total overall. I think it's low. Mike Tomlin, best in the business. We talk about against the spread when he's an underdog. He gets his team ready. Like you said, they have pressure. They have a legendary player in Watt. Where, how do you th see things shaking out here? Ravens going to have players back. Browns now uncertainty, a quarterback. But, of course, Bengals returning. Everybody's going to be after them. Steelers 2022, how do you see it with the schedule? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult schedule in terms of who they play. But when you look at the travel, which also matters, they never leave the Eastern time zone. They have the, the shortest travel schedule in the league this year. And I think that matters as well. Uh, as you mentioned, Tomlin does a really good job. I, I, I saw a stat earlier this year of the coaches who've been in the league. Uh, I, I think it's 100 or more games, coached 100 or more games. He's the only one with a winning record against teams with winning records. That includes Bill Belichick. Um, you know, so he he finds a way against good football teams to get the most out of his team. And I, I, I keep going back to that 2019 season when you had Mason Rudolph and Doc Hodges, and they were out of the gate at 0-2 and had lost Ben Roethlisberger and went 8-6 and six the rest of the way with those two guys at quarterback, they'll find a way to win games. And I wouldn't bet on Mike Tomlin not getting to at least nine wins this year because that's just what, you know, they the guys put together 15 consecutive non-losing seasons. It's never been done before in the NFL. Yes, it's going to happen at some point, but I wouldn't bet on it. I mean, <laughs> that's just something that, you know, seven and a half, I mean – They've been over eight every year since 2003. Um, you know, this is my 29th season covering the team, and I've covered three losing seasons in 29 years. They just don't lose many games. Yep, they don't lose many games, and people are underrating them this year, which is when Tomlin and this group is at their best. Folks, Dale Lolly on Twitter, at DLolly underscore PGH. Steelers beat writer since 1993, now with DK Pittsburgh Sports, host of The Drive on Steelers Nation Radio as well. Just a fantastic job. Dale, from the home here, you're an OG at 4 for 4. Thank you so much for joining us here with a great preview of Pittsburgh. I think it's going to be a real good season for the Steelers. Always a pleasure, Mike. We'll talk to you.
We are going to look at the Indianapolis Colts, and I have a fantastic guest. People who know the inside of the team can give us some nuggets about the NFL, maybe lead us in the right direction in fantasy as well. George Bremer, CNHI Sports Indiana Executive Editor, Indiana Colts Beat Writer and Sports Editor for the Herald Bulletin over there in Anderson, Indiana. Follow him on Twitter at GM Bremer. George, thanks so much for joining us here in the 4 for 14 preview series. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be here. So, George, listen, Colts, I'm very positive about the Colts this year. They were 9-8 and eight last year. They were three games behind Tennessee. But they were a popular pick to win the division. But, look, they lost two games in overtime, including the one to Tennessee at home. They should have beaten Tampa Bay as well. I think the season could have easily went 12-5 and five and been much better, no? Yeah, you know, there were a lot of little mistakes, comebacks, um, just – not finishing games, I think, was the number one thing. And so I think that's what they wanted to, to work on this offseason. And if they can find a way, I think they were two and five and one score games. I mean, you find a way to flip that around, it's a completely different year. Yeah, and of course, a very well-coached team. And those one-score game records, either positive or negative, do tend to regress to the mean each year. So that's a positive sign for the Colts as well. Of course, we're going to start at QB. Carson Wentz gone, Matt Ryan in. Now, listen, Wentz last year, 28 total touchdowns. He had one rushing only seven interceptions, but had some critical poor decisions in big moments. Six different starting quarterbacks for the Colts past five seasons. Here comes Matt Ryan. I'm a BC guy, George. He's going to bring stability. He's going to bring leadership. We've already heard about his great accuracy from Michael Pittman here. So talk about the change maybe in the offense and the expectations going from Wentz to Matt Ryan. Yeah, I think you're going to get back to the timing scheme that, that Frank Reich really likes to run. You're going to see the ball coming out a lot faster. Uh, a lot more crossers, things like that. Uh, basically what, what Frank Reich did uh, most of the time he's been in it. You go back and, and look at the 2020 offense uh, that Phil, River Phil Rivers ran. You look at what Andrew Luck ran in 2018. I think that's what you can expect with Matt Ryan. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to be pre-snap reads. Um, just I think Ryan said – I can't remember the, the uh, initials that he used, but it – Basically, timing, decision-making, and accuracy. That's the, the three most important keys uh, in this offense. Frank Reich agrees. And I think Matt Ryan fits that, that mold, the ideal for what they want to do uh, really, really well. Let's talk about the greatness of Jonathan Taylor. Just a fantastic season last year. Led the league in rushing over 1,800 yards, rushing TDs, 18 expected i would think for another heavy workload are they trying to work some other people in and lessen it because he was just fantastic last year yeah he was incredible uh especially the last half of the year when he was really just carrying the offense um you know i think they're always going to want to try to to give him a little bit of rest you don't want to burn him out i mean obviously uh he didn't work at all during the the mini camp last week i think a lot of that is just if you don't have to put more on him don't uh, but he's going to be a big part of this offense. They're going to be a run-first team. That That's really the philosophy that they've had uh, really since Wright got here. And when you have a guy as good as Jonathan Taylor, you're obviously going to roll with that. But I think they do want to work Naheem Hines in a little bit more. I don't think his role is going to change significantly. He is always been the hurry-up guy. I mean, if they're in a two-minute drill or something like that, he's going to be out there. Uh, I think they want him to, to be more of a target out of the backfield than he was a year ago. Uh, but this is still going to be Jonathan Taylor's the bell cow. I think this offense is still going to begin with him. 
Yeah, and Hines for us in the fantasy community is is sort of a, a focused guy here because he was really effective last year, did some great things. He ended up with 4.9 yards per carry, had 40 receptions, really did a great job in that two-minute drill. I mean, Georgia feels like whenever they're in the two-minute drill, they got to that five-yard line. Hines was going to find his way to get in the end zone, either a handoff or a quick screen. I would think with Matt Ryan, not as mobile as some other quarterbacks, that Hines would have still a solid role, even though Taylor, best running back in football. Yeah, absolutely. And they've talked about that, you know, all spring. He's probably one of the guys who's been talked about the most, just trying to make sure that they're maximizing his opportunities. Uh, you know, he's a guy who's very versatile. And I think they want to just get him the ball in as many different ways as they can. And if you look back at Matt Ryan's career, you know, he's a guy who hasn't been afraid to take that check down, uh, take what the defense has given him. And I think it's just something that meshes really well with Hines, at least on paper. And so far, uh, the time that they've been together, it looks like they're, they're building a good relationship on the field. One of the players that I am absolutely through the roof on this year is Michael Pittman. I think everything lines up for a massive year for Pittman. He had some fantastic performances, separation, big target, athletic guy, the connection there with Matt Ryan. But there is some competition. We here in Fantasy World, George, have been loyal to Paris Campbell. We want him to fire because he's such a phenomenal athlete and very explosive. He's battled injuries. And, of course, you have Alec Pierce as well. So talk about the wide receivers there. Alec Pierce, first-round draft pick. Pittman, big year. Campbell has the explosiveness. How do you see it shaking out here? Yeah, you know, Pittman, uh, I think the biggest thing with him is, is what he does with the ball in his hand. He's such an angry runner. I don't know if I've seen a receiver quite like that. Uh, you know, his dad was a running back, and you see that when, when he gets the ball in the open field. And I think that's another thing that should mesh well with Ryan. You know, he gets him the ball in stride, uh, gives him a chance for yards after the catch. I think you could see a really, really big year from, from Michael Pittman. He's I think he's pretty much unquestioned leader of this group right now. He's, he's only going into his third year, but it's such a young group that he's sort of the veteran guy. Uh, and I think that breakout year he had a year ago, the Colts expected that. I think they expect him to build on that this year. Uh, and I don't think it's something that that really is – I think it's reasonable. You know, I think you're going to see him maybe be closer to twelve or 1,300 yards uh, receiving this year, maybe even higher than that, depending on how well things click between him and, and Matt Ryan. Uh, Alec Pierce caught everything they threw at him in, in minicamp. I guess that's what you're looking for right away. His hands were really good. They came in saying that they felt like that was going to be a strength. Um, you know, he's a guy that doesn't let it get into his chest. He's, he catches the ball out front, uh, high points it a lot. I think they like what they've seen from him. It's going to be interesting to see how long it takes him to get up to speed in the NFL game. You worry about him getting on press coverage. That's what pretty much every rookie, that's kind of the number one question. Uh, but he's big. He's strong. He's athletic. So you figure he's going to figure it out. And really, Paris Campbell's maybe the most snake bit guy in, in the league. I mean, the injuries are what they are, but it's not. If it was like soft tissue stuff, then maybe you could start pointing the finger at him. You know, if it was groin pulls and, and hamstrings and things like that, it's been fairly flukish things. I mean, he gets a helmet to the knee one year. Last year, he scores on a long touchdown. A guy lands on his foot in a way that breaks his foot. I mean, you can't – obviously, it's it's a recurring thing, uh, but I don't know what he can do to make it better. I, I don't know how you train to make sure your knee withstands a helmet shot. So if he's healthy, he's a perfect fit for this offense. I mean, the reason they brought him in, those crossers, what he does after the catch, uh, and he's also a deep threat. So I think if he's healthy, it changes everything about this receiving core, but, you know, that that's been the question for him throughout his career. Yeah, Alec Pierce, I'm sorry, not first-round pick. He was their first pick of the draft, second-round pick 
uh, 2.21 this year, 4.41 speed, just a blazer there. Like you said, can he get off the press coverage? Can he get things going? Another player really quick on the receiving core I want to talk about, Ashton Doolin. You know, he's someone who's flashed, he's a returner. Uh, have you heard anything about him? Is he getting pushed out here by Pierce, or is there still a chance for him to pop? Yeah, you know, I think right now, Fred Reich said there is no depth chart right now, and I think he's kind of right. I Pittman's obviously number one. I don't think anyone's going to question that. But after that, it's really a wide open race. And I think they feel like Ashton Doolin has a chance here to, to maybe take a step forward. I can see him in a, in a role similar to the role that they wanted Zach Pascal to play uh, a couple times. The injuries kind of pushed Pascal up the depth chart harder than they wanted him to be. Uh, but if, in that four, you know, that number four spot, uh, he's a deep th threat. And I think that's one thing they still don't have a lot of. I mean, Pierce can fly and Campbell when he's out there. Uh, it, it can really you know take the top off the defense, but Doolin might be the fastest guy on this roster. It's just a matter of kind of bringing that all together with his route running, and you know now that he's had a couple years in the league, uh, learning defenses. You know, can he take that step forward? I don't know. He's going to be given the opportunity. I do think he's a dark horse in this this group because if Campbell does go down again, he's probably the, the guy you would look to first to, to put in in that slot receiver. Let's look at tight end. I'm a basketball busbro guy. Also, George Mo Alley Cox, v VCU, superior athlete here. Started becoming sort of the red zone magnet. Had uh, last year in the red zone 10 targets. That was top 20 for tight ends, even though he's not getting a high snap share. He's had zero, two, and four receiving targets, uh, receiving touchdowns rather, the last three years. Mo Alley Cox, bigger role. What are you hearing? Yeah, he's a guy whose role is definitely going to grow this year. I think uh, Jack Doyle's retirement obviously leaves a lot of opportunity out there for him. And I think he's going to be the guy who gets the majority of the targets. Uh, he's felt like a guy who's sort of been ready to break out the last couple of years. They've been really excited about him uh, through the number of spring, the last last couple of springs. Uh, he's got the tools, you know, he's, he's huge. He's got good athleticism. Uh, they really like him as a blocker. That's really where he started to make his name, which was, you know, you don't expect that from a basketball guy, but he really came out as a blocker first. And I think he's going to have the opportunity now uh, to to get those, you know, to, to be the number one tight end in the passing game. Sorry, the dogs are going crazy. That's all right. <laughs> I got one as well. Don't but I think that yeah, they're, they're both kind of, well, you know, they're boys. They want to fight. They're but excited about Mo'Ally Cox. That's, a, that's the answer. Yeah, they're excited about Mo'Ally Cox as well, <laughs> as, as it should be. Um I think, you know, Frank Reich has talked about him being a matchup nightmare. And I think that's what they're looking for. You look at, again, looking back at Matt Ryan's history, like most quarterbacks, he likes throwing to big receivers. And I think if you look at Mo Ali Cox's skill set, it seems like a guy who should fit well with him. And now you throw in Jelani Woods and uh, Drew Ogletree, who are also giants. And I think they, they could put a red zone package out there that looks like a basketball team. I think that's one of the things that's most intriguing about this group right now. You could have, you know, a, a red zone look where Alec Pierce at 6'3 is the smallest guy out there. Great, great point. Let's turn to the offensive line. Uh, PFF just released their offensive line rankings, ranked Indianapolis 10th. They did lose two starters from a year ago, but Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, all back here. <laughs> Offensive line, it starts and ends with what they have going on with Taylor protecting Ryan as a 37-year-old quarterback. How do you see the line this year? Always one of the best in the NFL. How will they transition from last year? I think the first important thing is they're healthy. You know, last year they really weren't. Quentin Nelson was dealing with all sorts of things from his back to his ankle. He had a foot issue during training camp. 
He's 100% healthy. That should be a big step up right there. Ryan Kelly missed a lot of time with an elbow injury. He's healthy. That should be a big help. Even Brayden Smith missed a bunch of time during the season early on. It took him a while to get back into the flow. Those three of the anchors, I think they're back kind of in, in shape, and that right there should be a big step forward for them. The question marks now are right guard's probably going to be Danny Pinner. He did a great job at center backing up Ryan Kelly. You know, the question now is the position he hasn't played. So how's he going to – how quickly is he going to kind of integrate himself in there and, and maybe become that, that you know, anchor uh, that they had with Mark Lewinsky for so long? And then at left tackle, it's really an open competition. Matt Pryor is going to get the first crack. Uh, did a good job on the right side last year. I think they like him as a utility guy. And then Bernard Raymond, who they drafted in the third round, I think in a lot of ways it would be best for the team if he wins that spot because then Pryor could go back to being the utility guy. You've got Dennis Kelly in the mix as well as kind of a swing tackle. Uh, so I think that would probably help the line the most as far as depth goes. But he's a rookie. Uh, you know, he's third round, third rounder. They really like his bend. Uh, they feel like he's got unique explosion. We'll see how that translates. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I think one of the most impressive things about him he switched from tight end to left tackle. He did it during the COVID year. So he's basically sending video back with his offensive line coach and learning to be a left tackle and goes out there and plays it well enough that in you know two years later he's he's an NFL draft pick. So I wouldn't put anything past him. Uh, but that's that left tackle spot, I think, is the biggest question mark on the on the line right now. And that's obviously huge because I don't think Matt Ryan's gonna be escaping a lot on his own. Larry, let's talk about the defense ranked eighth in DVOA and football outsider seventh year before has been very, very solid. And of course, this year they ended up in mid-April. They signed Stefan Gilmore at cornerback. So this Colts defense, I think, George, nationally, a little bit underrated, could make a move this year, knowing to the top five in the league. Yeah, I think it starts up front, you know, with Yannick and Gokman uh, and hopefully improving that that pass rush that's where they really have struggled and you go back and look at some of those games where they lost the lead they're not getting pressure on these quarterbacks in the fourth quarter and you let an nfl quarterback be that comfortable you know they're throwing the ball all over the field making these huge comebacks i think Ngakwe is probably the most important addition because of that he's been an eight to 12 sack guy every year in his career uh, i think he's really fits well in gus bradley's scheme plays that wide nine spot and, and has been outstanding there i think they feel like they kind of can you know, mark him down for about 10 sacks. Maybe that opens up Quiddy Pay on the other side and lets him kind of take that next step forward. It was a lot to put on him as a rookie last year when he was kind of the, the number one rush guy, um, you know, in his first year. It's hard to do that coming right out of college. And he really, he had, he showed flashes, but it, it took him a while to get up to speed, as you would expect. And I think with Ngakwe over on the other side, that should help him out a lot. Also, it should open up things for DeForest Buckner. He's seeing triple teams at times last year. Uh, you know, if he can get more pressure up the middle, all of that should make the pass rush better. And then you get Gilmore on the back end, uh, which should also help the pass rush as well. I mean, give him maybe another second because of his coverage skills. Kenny Moore, uh, you know, continues to take steps forward as, as that slot guy. It's going to be interesting to see who the third corner is, kind of a uh, competition between Brandon Face on. And Isaiah Rogers, who really took a big leap forward last year, but we'll see if he can take another step. And then I think on defense, the biggest question right now is Darius Leonard's health. You know, he had that back surgery uh, just a couple weeks ago, 
They expect him to be ready early in training camp. He really dealt with an ankle all of them. It was never himself. I think they feel like if they can get him back to 100%, it changes a lot about what this defense could do. And then Bobby Okereke had a really good spring, uh, looks good in pass coverage, and is another guy who is an interesting fit in Gus Bradley's scheme. This has been great, George. One more question. We'll get you out of here. Their schedule, third easiest this year per Vegas opposing win totals, nine and a half on Vegas for the win total. I am very high on this Colts team. Defensive pieces, getting more pressure. Gilmore there in the back end. Matt Ryan's leadership, the development of Pittman. You have the best running back in football. I'm very high on the Colts this year. How does it look with a pretty good schedule so far, it seems like? And, of course, win total looking to get to that 10, maybe even higher. Yeah, you know, I think they got a really good start because you're going to go out to Houston to open and they haven't won in week one in eight years, which is phenomenal. Uh, but, you know, go out there and, and hopefully get that first win out of the way, you would think on paper. Uh, it's a really good way to open the season. And then week two, they're at Jacksonville and everybody knows how that ended last year. They haven't won there since 2014. I think it's a really good start to kind of get a gauge of where this team is. You can do a couple things right out of the gate that you haven't been able to do in a long time. And if they do, maybe that starts the momentum towards this big year. If they don't, then there's going to be a lot of questions. And I think, you know, they're, they're poised to, to get a big start out of the gate. I think Matt Ryan looks like a, a really good fit so far. And I agree with everything you said. The pieces are all in place. It's just a matter now of, of going out and getting it done. I think this is a team that should have expectations to win the AFC South. And if they don't get that done, I think it'll be a disappointing season. I agree completely. Folks, George Bremer does amazing work here on the Colts. CNHI Sports Indiana Executive Editor, beat writer for the Herald Bulletin. Follow him on Twitter at GM Bremer. George, thank you so much for a few minutes. We're high on the Colts. It's a big team here for the fantasy community. A lot of different pieces. We appreciate your insight, both sides of the ball. Look forward to a great season. No problem. Thanks a lot. What better team to finish off the week with than the Cincinnati Bengals? Fantastic season last year. Super Bowl trip. They're young, refreshed, replenished, looking to continue their success. And we're going to go to the experts as we always do. And today we're bringing in one, somebody that I've talked to several times about the Bengals in the past. Always gives us great nuggets here. Jay Marson from The Athletic, Bengals beat writer. You can follow him on Twitter at jmarsonath for Athletic. Does fantastic work there with the Bengals. Going to cover every topic here for us both NFL, fantasy, anything you want. Jay, th thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Today is actually my first day of 16 off in a row. So, uh, yeah, it, I couldn't be better. Oh, and you're <laughs> celebrating it with us. We can't exactly, thank you yeah. for that. Oh, this is great. Listen, I want to start with last year. Incredible year for the Bengals. AFC Championship on the road. KC coming from behind. They're down 21-3. to Great showing in the Super Bowl as well. I'm curious, when did you know or start to say, you know what, this team could be special? And when did you think, you know what, we're actually going to win this game in KC? Because to us, it was always the Bengals are coming, they're coming, they have the offense, Burrow's back. But I don't know if I really bought in during that first game against the Raiders where they had to hold them off. But from that point, they were dominant. So two questions. One, where did you sort of say during the season, you know, this team's pretty good? And when did you buy into the comeback at KC? So to say they were special, uh, I don't know. That was that was maybe sometime in that AFC Championship game. Um, to to know they were pretty good, it was it was early on. It was, 
you know, the, the Minnesota win, they kind of felt like they stole that one. I think it was the, the Green Bay game that they actually lost, but they played so well against him, and they should have won if that was the only game where Evan McPherson, the rookie kicker, kind of struggled. Um, but that's when you thought, yeah, this team – maybe can be pretty good. And then when they went to Baltimore and just took them to the woodshed, that's when I think everybody was like, whoa. And, and you heard Burrow say it on the sideline. If we can win this division, we can win the whole damn thing. And I think there was that that kind of – it just went through the organization and it even went outside the organization. I think a lot of people sat up and took notice of the Bengals after that win. As far as the Kansas City game, I wasn't convinced they were going to – probably until they intercepted Mahomes in overtime. I mean, I was – it had been a long season, and and I was already kind of thinking what I was going to do with my offseason at halftime of that game. And then they come storming back, and um, you're like, oh, this is you know a nice little comeback to give them some momentum to go into the into the offseason. And they just kept coming and coming. The defense just shut down the Chiefs. Um, and then the Chiefs win the toss. Everybody saw what happened the week before when they won the toss against Buffalo, and you're thinking, oh, well, again, it was a nice comeback, but that's it. And they intercept Mahomes on what the second or third play of overtime, and you're like, "Oh, th that's it." They're, I mean, they're at least getting a McPherson field goal, which is what they ended up getting. And so it was, it was real. You you knew they were going to be a good team, but it was still kind of ex unexpected that they made that run as far as they did. And one of the great parts of the offense, of course, Jamar Chase. I'm going to tell you right now, Jay, I was wrong. I thought they could go <laughs> offensive line. Burrow coming off the injury, have to protect him. You already have T. Higgins. Big debate was Penny Sewell or Chase. No debate at all. Chase ranked fourth among all wide receivers in receiving yards, almost 1,500 yards, 13 total touchdowns. That was fourth. Was it really Chase all along in that draft? And everything you were hearing on social media was bluster because that connection with Burrow is very strong. Well, the people inside the organization that that we talked to, yes, that he was the guy all along. They just saw him as a a major difference maker and the the one thing they needed to unlock that offense. People forget Joe Burrow was so good as a rookie, but the big hole in his game was the deep ball. And Jamar Chase came in and fixed that in a huge way from the from the get go. That first game, he caught a deep ball right before halftime, and it just kind of set the tone for the rest of the season. Um, a, a lot of the debate on social media was from pundits and fans, and um, you're in the minority, not in the minority that wanted Panay Sewell, but in the minority to admit you were wrong. Um, and it, it did. It just it it felt like he would be a bigger difference maker. And you look at it, yes, that they could have used Panay Sewell last year. Joe Burrow sacked or hit sacked 70 times, hit 139. But there's no way they go to the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase, even if, if Burrow gets sacked and hit half of those amount of times. Yeah, and the thing is, Chase always seemed, Jay, to me, you were waiting for that big play, that second yep. half play. And the first one that happened, you said, oh, okay, they had a connection. And then it was you were sitting on pins and needles because you knew it was coming. And then, you mm -hmm. know, that 200-yard receiving games, I mean, it was just a matter of time. Even though the offensive line, like you said, maybe struggled a little bit. But I would say this year for the offensive line, outlook is much improved. Pro Football Focus has them eighth overall, most improved offensive line, they're saying, in the NFL. Ted Karras, Alex, Alex Coppa, Lael Collins – should be upgrades here. Talk about this old line because they could really improve, which is scary when you think about how good the offense was with the Bengals last year. Yeah, it, I mean they really could. LC Collins was the he was the cherry on top. The 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 main thing, and this is 
kind of a theme with Joe Burrow where when he talks, the organization listens and he, he doesn't mind the pressure coming off the edge so much. He feels like he can make that guy miss and, and, and sidestep him or spin away, whatever it is, and, and get the throw off. What really bothered him was the pressure up the middle. And that's why you saw them get Karras and Kappa right off the bat in free agency. So yeah, that is going to make a, a huge difference. Um, you just think about, I mean, they win the Super Bowl if he has a half second more time to get off that deep ball to Jamar Chase on the final play of the game. You have to figure he's going to get more than a half second on a number of plays with the, the people that they they put in place. But I, I would caution people because we've, we've talked about this for a long time, my partner Paul Daner and I um, on our podcast and just in our writing, and it's always been the no donkeys approach to the offensive line. You can have four studs, but if you have one terrible guy, they're going to find that weakness and they're going to exploit it. So they still have at that other guard spot opposite Kappa, a big question mark right now. It's the second round pick from last year, Jackson Carmen, who really came in as a rookie and struggled with maturity issues and uh, overweight a little bit. And, um, if he can't take the step needed, that that could be a big hole this year, and it, it might undo a lot of the good they did in free agency getting those other three guys. I, I love that. I may steal that. I'll credit to you. No donkey, <laughs> no donkey approach to the offensive line. No, great, great point. And look, the weapons that he has, Burrow has, are tremendous. Not only Chase. T. Higgins, really overshadowed almost by Chase, but had a great week 16, which for us in the fantasy community is tremendous. Week 16, week 17, took a big step forward. More receptions, more receiving yards, same amount of touchdowns, Higgins, two fewer games. Tyler Boyd, of course, maybe one of the most underrated third receivers. And Hayden Hurst comes over here with Uzoma going to the Jets. Talk about the other receivers because it's not just Chase. There's a lot more. Yeah, well, you saw it. They, they in the game against Tennessee, they really rolled coverage to Chase, and Higgins came up with some big catches in that in that playoff game. And then in the Super Bowl, they they had Jalen Ramsey on Chase, and he he did a good job against him. And Higgins has two touchdowns. That that is he is a huge weapon. And Hayden Hurst, I think, is going to be an improvement over C.J. Uzama. I think everybody loved what C.J. Uzama did for this team, but. I, I think Hayden Hurst fits this offense more. He's got a little more speed. He's a he's a little bit more dynamic as a pass catcher. CJ was a terrific blocker, and he he had a career year last year in receptions and yards and touchdowns. But I, I think Hayden Hurst is an upgrade. That's a former first round pick, and he's he's never been able to be the guy you know the, the the Ravens draft him and then they also draft Mark Andrews and he takes off and then he goes to Atlanta and they draft Kyle Pitts and so he's he's always been kind of in the background he's going to have his chance to shine here and I don't think he's going to go nuts when you look at all those other wide receivers and Joe Mixon let's not forget him and Chris Evans the, the rookie running back last year really had some big plays in the past game I think you're going to see a lot more of him on third down this year um, and then Tyler Boyd maybe one of the best slots in the in the league one drop all of last year he's been terrific so yes there's there is all kinds of problems for opposing defenses out there and and you give joe burrow that extra split second to find the guy and you know he's going to yeah hayden hurst first round draft capital of course so we know that he is talented let's go to the backfield joe mixon i think jay dominant season we all wanted to see 16 games over 1200 rushing yards 42 receptions, over 300 receiving yards, and the 16 touchdowns, including he had 13 touchdowns over a nine-week period from week four to week 13. Question here, can he sustain that workload again? 
Are the Bengals do the Bengals want to give that to him? Samaj P. Ryan, Chris Evans. What do you think the touch in the in the in the backfield is going to break down to? Because obviously Mixon, super talented, versatile guy. Yeah, I, I don't know that we're going to see that workload again. We even saw it last year toward in the playoff run toward the end of the year. Um, third downs partially, but two-minute, four-minute drills, end of games, he's off the field. It was Samaj P. Ryan. And, and I, I think that'll be the case again if Samaj is number two or if Chris Evans, the, the the last year's rookie that I mentioned earlier, if if he kind of wins that job, if he can get better at blitz pickup, he'll, he'll be the guy in there on third down. I just – I, I think it's it's partially load management. It's partially not entirely comfortable with with Joe in pass protection. Um, he is a terrific receiver, so you would it makes sense that you would want him in on third down. But I, I think they're going to let him be the first and second down guy that is is going to run the ball. And yeah, he could still catch and passes out of the backfield on first and second down. But I, I I'd be surprised if if his snaps targets carries well i'm not gonna say carries maybe that'll be the same but snaps and targets i i think you're going to be down this year oh that's great insight appreciate it thank you the the defensive side of the ball very underrated like you said bengal's defense here getting to the quarterback with four sometimes giving their secondary a chance huge improvement last year from 27th overall in dvoa per football outsiders two years ago to 19th which included 13th against the run really did a great job against the run Black and blue, dude, you're in the black and blue division, AFC North. Ravens should be better and improve. Pittsburgh, I think, is getting a little underrated here. Where do you think? Cleveland, they just get a quarterback issue figured out. They're going to be a problem. One of the most competitive divisions, I think it's this in the AFC West. How do you see the defense holding up here and what's going to be some, some tough challenges, Lamar Jackson, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, the, the AFC is just loaded um, this year, so it is going to be a challenge. But really, if you think about it, that defense was more responsible probably than anything else, even Jamar Chase, even Joe Burrow, for getting the team to the Super Bowl. You look back to the, the playoff game against the Titans. They pick off Tannehill on the first play of the first half, first play of the second half, last play of the second half. I mentioned the the pick they had against um, Mahomes in overtime in that AFC championship game. Uh, they also had the big stop on fourth down right before halftime that it's not a defense. It's going to go out and dominate anybody. It's, it's not going to remind anybody the 2000 Ravens or anything like that. But when the game's on the line, they just find ways to, to make plays and get stops and get turnovers. And I, they've got just about everybody back. They lost Larry Ogunjobi, who was terrific last year as a, a three tech, but he split time with BJ Hill and, he was the more expensive option, so they re-signed B.J. Hill. So even though they lost Ogunjobi, they're not really losing a position. So, yeah, everybody back then, they they really, really focused on defense in the draft. Uh, five of the six draft picks on the defensive side of the ball, including the first-round pick, Dax Hill, who looks like he's going to be the heir apparent to Jesse Bates, but that doesn't mean he's going to sit out this year. They're going to find he can play in the slot, he can play outside, he can play safety. They're going to He's going to be on the field a lot. And then they go cornerback, Cam Taylor Britt in the second round. So they just added more and more pieces to an already – strong defense and you, you do wonder about if, if they can find a complimentary pass rush sam hubbard's good but trey hendrickson was just off the charts last year and they had joseph osai as a rookie last year looked great had a couple sacks of tom brady in, in the preseason opener and then suffered a season ending injury so he's almost like an extra draft pick they get back this year um, that would be my one big concern is if they can get a, a secondary outside pass rush uh, to go alongside with hendrickson but 
back end they're terrific linebackers logan wilson is a rising star in this league they they are really set on that defensive side of the ball and and not to underestimate lou anarumo the defensive coordinator too because he is a guy that loves to mix and match and change schemes and he does it on the fly that the halftime adjustments they made against kansas city in the championship game big reason they won that game um so they they've got it all it's it's a coaching staff that that the defensive coordinator offensive coordinator head coach have all been in their positions for four years it's only one of two teams in the league that can say that so that chiefs being the other that continuity and, and that ability they're all they were all in those jobs for the first time ever so lou anarumo is growing better as a defensive coordinator just as these players are improving and getting more used to his scheme yeah, the consistency is critical, especially when we look at the schedule. Last question for you here, Jason. Great information. Seventh hardest schedule per projected win totals in Vegas here for Cincinnati. And, folks, let me read to you the schedule for the Bengals after their Week 10 bye. At Pittsburgh, at Tennessee, the Chiefs at home, Browns at home, at Tampa, at New England, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Jay, talk about the schedule here. This is certainly a rough one, especially second half. Yeah, well, I mean, you win your division and you're going to get that. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the, just it seems like so much talent flipped from NFC to AFC. So you knew it was going to be a brutal schedule. I, I I don't buy into the the Bengals being a big candidate for regression, um, the way a lot of Super Bowl losers are. A lot of you know teams kind of sell out to get there, and this team is built for the future. Um, but I think they're going to be a better team. But because of that schedule, because of all the talent that came into the league, I, I don't necessarily think they're going to have a better record. I, I and the, you mentioned also how tough that AFC North is. Um, Everybody's saying Pittsburgh's kind of the whipping boy. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. I'm not. Yes, they've got issues at quarterback, but I think they're going to figure it out. Bengals fortunate to play them in week one and get one of those games out of the way early. Jay, we talked about it with Dale Lally yesterday. Uh, you know, seven and a half win total for the Steelers. You yeah. Know, uh, with, with a 17-game schedule, that's a little rough. I, I think, you know, she's Putting a car payment on the over for that one. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I think eleven and six again is is right in the range where they'll be. I, I do consider them the favorite to win the division because they are the defending champs and they didn't suffer any major losses. But but I, I love what Baltimore did this offseason and in the draft, and I, I think they're going to get Lamar Jackson's situation straightened out, and they and they are they are going to be coming for the Bengals. The Bengals kind of ran it up on them twice last year, and you know that didn't sit well with Jim Harbaugh, and it cost Wink Martindale's job. Um, those are going to be some interesting games to watch, particularly week 18, that finale. Oh, great stuff, folks. Jay Morrison on Twitter at Jay Morrison, ATH for The Athletic. Does fantastic work. Podcasts all over, all over the place. He had a radio spot this morning. Thank you, Jay, for a few minutes here. Doing great work for the Bengals. Definitely be following you during the season. It's going to be real exciting coming off of last year. You have a young core, young nucleus, and a lot of explosive players. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me.